For the most dangerous two hours in radio on the wake up with your host this evening, your brother Cam Kazi the Cutlass. Shout out to my co-host, my brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Booth Podcast. Shout out to super producer Cindy Ashby for bringing this all together. Shout out to the whole on the wake up radio family and shout out to you, the listener, the on the wake up radio army. Definitely check us out at onthewakeupradio.com where you can hear the live broadcast. I'm telling y'all, go turn on the go to onthewakeupradio.com and turn on the broadcast. If you're tuning in through Instagram, you can always keep the IG on. Just turn the volume down because it's going to be another hot night tonight. And the topics we talk about, you already know, we're facing heavy censorship. Censorship, so it's always best to log on to onthewakeupradio.com. You can also check out the archives at the SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Check those out. Um, If you want to check out those platforms, you can definitely hit that like button. Hit that like button for us so you can boost up our ratings. Because even on iTunes for the longest time, we were like... 111 and 139 of, you know, half a million podcasts on iTunes education. So if you are on that platform, just hit that like button, boost up our ratings some more and hit that share button. If you are daring enough, hit that share button and share this content with someone who you feel is on the wake up. It's greatly appreciated. Oh, and big shout out to FEMA Region 2 Administrator the hell is this guy's name? I always forget this guy's name. Bob Fenton. Robert Fenton. Big shout out to FEMA Region 2 Administrator Bob Fenton. Thank you, Bob, for keeping the lights on. We see you. Hey, hey, shout, shout out your FEMA Region. If you know what it is, shout out your FEMA Region, everybody. We, we broadcasting live from FEMA Region 2 right now. If you know your FEMA Region, shout it out. Um... At this point, you should definitely know your FEMA region. Peace, peace, everyone who's tuning in on the Instagram. I see y'all over there. Thank you for tuning in. Shout out your FEMA region if you know it. You should know your FEMA region, and you should know your FEMA region administrator at the very least. And then, you know, do a little homework and learn something about them as well. You already know how we do. Just going to, you know, start off, start off the conversation light, warm up this mic. This past weekend, this weekend, DMX was laid to rest. Rest in power, DMX. All the love and blessings to his 
his uh, his family members and his friends, and just the the millions of people, probably billions of people across the world who we touched. Man, uh, I was even getting choked up the last couple of days. I was uh was lucky because okay, I see you, FEMA Region Five. Salute. I was lucky because you know I got to go out and and kind of get in on the celebration with uh, you know. The, the DMX, his celebration of life. And it was good to be out there just with all those people. You know, so many people from some from different walks of life came out to celebrate the life of this man. And, you know, even even listening to the, the news reporters talk about it, like, there's you know, there's no one like him. I think uh, all five of his albums went to the number one spot on the charts for whatever it's worth. But... You know, I, I didn't. I never. T I never kind of. I guess I never realized he wasn't a mainstream rapper. Mainstream rapper. You know, since I was a, since I was a teenager when he first came out, he was always one of my favorites. And when he ended up in the hospital, I know I didn't talk about it much. Then when he passed, you know, but it, yeah, I guess it was yesterday, right? Yesterday when. His celebration of life was beginning. I was just bumping DMX yesterday. And that's when I really started to feel it. That's when I really started to get choked up. Like, damn, he's really gone, you know? But to see everyone out there with the bikes, the Rough Riders, all the different bike clubs out there, you know, people, you know, they, they sent him off properly, you know? They sent him off properly. And that just goes to show the type of person that he was and the impact he had you you never know the impact you have on somebody but he's one of those like even going back and listening to his music you know he talked some hard shit but he was always dropping jewels in the midst of of, of his uh you know in the midst of his music and that was one thing for me as a young buck just listening to that because you know I was getting a hardship but then I was getting lessons as well so, and I think a lot of people kind of got that from him. And yeah, he, he was, you know, for the most part, an underground rapper. I was the kid. When his albums would drop, I would run to the store and get his album on, on the release day. I would go and get his CD on the day that it dropped. It was always on a Tuesday, right? And I remember his album, The Great Depression. If y'all remember, old heads, you remember that. <laughs> Mr. Eastland said he touched us older guys in a way the young people can't possibly know. His struggle was about good and evil. That's right. It was. And he showed you that. And he wasn't one of these suckers that just went out there and was just sucking ass for money and for fame. You know, he was coming out there and just putting his art and really his heart down on wax for people to learn from his lessons, you know, X, X went through so much, you know, different types of abuse, physical abuse, who knows what other type of abuse, drug abuse, he was introduced to crack at like 14 years old by someone who he considered a mentor, foul motherfucker, you know, to think that an older head would see a young man and introduce him to something like crack, you know, this was probably, what, 14 years old. I think he was born in 1970, something like that. So around 1984. Like, that was back before crack was even a big thing. You know? That's when crack was first coming out. So, you know, there's, there's a whole thing that you see 
you still see it today too where older men it's almost like they want to you know in a way turn out younger men you know maybe it's jealousy maybe they see the light shining in them and say oh no little motherfucker no nah, i'm gonna ruin your life i'm gonna make you bad like me you know instead of guiding them in the right direction so you know x got caught up in that and I don't know his whole story. I know that he was, you know, he was at Children's Village in Dobbs Ferry, I believe. And that's, um, that's like a foster care, like a foster home. I guess you might call it an orphanage. I'm sure there's some more politically correct term for it now. But when I first was working as a foster care caseworker, when I first came into the um the world of foster care as a caseworker my first job was at children's village children's village you know it was hard there I, I worked in the independent living so I didn't really work on the campus but when I went for my interview was it my interview? It was either my interview or my orientation. I can't remember which one. Might have been my orientation. I don't know which one it was. But I was on the main campus of Children's Village. And I'll tell you, it was some wild shit that I saw. My first day walking in, never had any kind of experience. It was my first job out of college. And I remember I was walking into the building. And so they have an area where you're buzzed in. Right where you go through the one door, that door closes. Kind of like the mail chute, you know, at the at the post office. If you're gonna send a box off, they you know they open up, they close the chute, lock it. You open up your chute, put your box in, close it down. They lock it and open up the chute. They have that same thing for for the youths, for the residents at Children's Village. So. There was a young man who was in the middle of this box, locked in this box, and he was yelling, screaming, spitting, punching, you know what I'm saying? But he couldn't do anything because this is like some plexiglass. I don't think it was bulletproof, but it was like some plexiglass type of thing. And you could just see the rage in this man, the anger, the frustration, and all that shit. And, um, and you know, that was my introduction to Children's Village. And... That's the place that DMX came to, you know, as a youth. Um, you say you can't get my live. Listen, this is what I try to tell people. Go on to onthewakeupradio.com. You can listen on there. Um, we're going to talk about some hot topics on here. We always get censored on the Instagram. So it's best to turn on the um, onthewakeupradio.com. You can keep the Instagram on because we're always chatting in here. But... I'm telling you, it, the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight, yeah, it's most likely going to get cut off and it's going to be difficult for people to stay in the live. That's what usually happens. So, oh, Mr. Eastland said, like the Sally Port and County. Yeah, I guess that's what that is. Yeah, like that. So, that's where, you know, that was my introduction to Children's Village. And to see what some of those young folks were going through, man, I'm telling you, like, it's fucked up out there for young people, and I know X gave a voice to 
a lot of those young folks, all kind of young folks, older folks, anybody who could just relate. And ironically enough, that kind of ties in with what we're talking about tonight because the topic of the program is fascism, revolution, and reparations. And somehow or another, they are all related, believe it or not. Fascism, revolution, and reparations. So, the foster care industry is, I call it, I you know, after Children's I only worked there for a, a short amount of time. Then I worked at, a, at another foster care agency in Brooklyn. And I'll tell you right now, the foster care agency, foster care in general, and child services, it's, to me, it's legal racketeering, you know, to put it bluntly, where Mm -hmm. you have, (laughs) you have these systems that are created And they have to justify themselves, you know. Now, child services, yes, there are children who are in danger out there. And they need uh, a better environment, a safer environment. We get that. But what child services does, it it's at the point now where, you know, it criminalizes a lot of innocent people, for sure. And it it puts them in a situation where they can very easily become dependent on the system, on a system. And at this point, because it's been, you know, probably a decade since I've worked in that field. But by the time I left, it was becoming so me- mechanized. I'm telling you, like... The system that I worked in on the computer, I think it was called Connections or something like that. And Connections was an old, it was an old system from like 1979, 1980, something like that. And every year or a couple times a year, they would build on what was what was already established, okay? So it wasn't no new computer. It's like a computer program, basically. So no new program was created necessarily. They were just building on it for, you know, 20-something years. I got there in 2006. And so you have notes going back, you know, decades in some cases, just depending on the case. But it was an old system. The new system that they were bringing in, because I'm telling, I left around 2010, somewhere around there, 2010, 2011, and the new system that they were bringing in, I'm telling you, it was like a combination of connections and Facebook and Google Earth, MapQuest, you know. Where you could go, you would click on, let's say you had a birth parent, and you would click on that parent's name or just hover your mouse over that parent's name. 
or you pull up their profile and you would see where they live and you would see a map and little red X's or something where their family members live and you could hover over an X and see which family member it is and you know who they are all their stats and I started to realize like god damn like nah they just want this is my conclusion that they just wanted everybody in the system doesn't matter which one whether it's foster care welfare unemployment Medicaid didn't matter. They just wanted everybody in the system. Criminal justice didn't matter. Because now we have the technology. You know, all that New World Order shit, like, I feel like they really, is my opinion. They couldn't, they wanted, they wished that they could have had their New World Order even back in, you know, like 1984 under Reagan. But... The country wasn't ready for it at that point. They didn't have the technology to pull it off in the way that they wanted to. They didn't have the infrastructure to pull it off. They could have tried, but it wouldn't have worked in the 1980s. 1990s, they they wanted it. You know, Bill Clinton and the United Nations, all that stuff that Bill Cooper and Phil Schneider were talking about back then. 2001, when 9-11 happened, that's when... They thought that they were going to get their new world order. That was the beginning of it. But they still couldn't do it yet because the people weren't ready for it. I just wanted to backtrack too because I was talking about X's albums, how I bought every one of them on the release date. So in 2001, it was a Tuesday and X was releasing the album The Great Depression. And the Great Depression, the original cover for the Great Depression, it was New York City, and it looked like New York City had been hit by a nuclear blast, right? So that album was supposed to drop on Tuesday, September 11th. When the attack happened, I ran up to the store to go get my DMX album. I was devastated. I said, oh, God, country's under attack. I got to get my DMX album. <laughs> <laughs> I ran to go get my shit and the store was closed. The store was closed. I was down in Virginia at the time. The store was closed because of the attack. And I guess, I don't know what happened with the album. They, I don't know if they repackaged it or what, put a new cover on it. But with the cover, the original cover isn't the one that they released it with. But, so going back to what I was saying. 9-11, they wanted to have their new world order, but the country wasn't right yet. They wanted to do the whole pandemic thing, but the country wasn't right yet. The the country, no, we wouldn't have accepted it at that point. You know, even though there was, um, we were kind of caught up in the whole terrorism thing, and they, they hit us with the, uh, they hit us with, you remember, that's when anthrax they dropped anthrax on us, and they dropped SARS on us, and they dropped, what else did they drop? Anthrax, SARS, I think H1N1 came a little after that, the, the first bird flu, you know? That's the environment that we were living in at that time. Um, but they still, you know, we didn't have a proper pandemic at that time, and they couldn't get the lockdown that they wanted because people were still too savvy. People were paying too much attention. I rem Hey, listen, I remember after 9... 9-11. When 9-11 happened, I remember watching the TV and seeing the towers fall. For the f I remember the first time I actually saw the towers fall because I didn't catch it live. I was in class. By the time I got out of class, the towers were already on the ground. 
so I came, you know, I, I tell the story all the time. I was, I was, it was my first year at college. I was at Hampton University. So I was down in Virginia. Um, and when I came back into the student lounge in my dorm, you know, the brothers are sitting around the TV kind of like holding their faces. I don't know what's going on. He said, the Twin Towers just blew up. Like, what? Said, the Twin Towers just blew up. And, you know, I went to go. I ran. I watched first. I think eventually they showed the video of what happened. And I couldn't believe that shit. But... When I saw the towers fall for the first time, I was like, oh, someone blew that shit up. I was like, oh, that's a demolition. I said, oh, they must have had bombs in the building. You know, and I remember I ran to the phone and I tried to call my people. You know, I tried to use my cell phone. The cell phones were down. I ran to the pay phone because we still had those. Tried to call up to New York. I tried to make a collect call or whatever it was. All the phone lines were down. You know, crazy shit was going on. And still, when that happened... They started talking about the melting of the steel beams. I was like, in my mind, I'm like, what about the bombs in the building? You know, like, I know there were bombs in the building, motherfucker. This is just my, what's my thinking. And then they started talking about this Osama bin Laden character. That's back when they called him Osama. And, you know, I went and did my homework after that part. And I think I just fell into a deep-ass rabbit hole from that point on. And, yeah, if y'all are getting kicked out of this live, I'm letting you know, go to onthewakeupradio.com. It's pinned right down there at the bottom, okay? Onthewakeupradio.com. You can stay in the uh, the IG live, but it's going to keep kicking you out. So, yeah, like, I just, you know, in my mind, there were bombs in the building. And then the pieces didn't really add up. Too many things, you know, Building 7, because we all watched, many of us watched Building 7 go down. So, it, you know, and there were different explanations. Like, you saw the BBC report, they reported that it was going to fall before it fell. So it was like a bunch of weird shit, a bunch of weird shit. I remember my cousin was going to school out in Pennsylvania. And when I was finally able to talk to him, I said, damn, man, yeah, plane went down to Pennsylvania. He said, yeah, they shot it down. That was the word that he got, was that they shot that plane down. You know, so all that talk about, oh, the passengers heroically wrestled the, fuck out of here. They did not fly that goddamn crashing into the ground. Listen, yo, I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> if they were able to beat up those hijackers, I'm sure, like in a movie, like in the movie Airplane or something, you know what I'm saying? Listen, some motherfucker would have got at the wheel. And uh, you would have been able to talk him down and figure out how to land that plane as safely as possible at an airport. Or better yet, use that remote control shit that the planes have and land it. You know what I'm saying? Some way. Like, so when they started hitting us with the bullshit about, you know, the people wrestling, the terrorists, and then... Decided to crash the plane into the... No fucking way. If I'm on a plane and we done beat the terrorist ass, nah, we're not crashing that plane plane. I'm, I'll figure it out. Y'all don't want to figure it out? I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> don't crash my plane. Get off me, nigga. <laughs> crashing my plane. Fuck out of here. An interesting thing about 9-11, a couple interesting things. 
Because like I said, this is called fascism, revolution, and reparations. Interesting thing about 9-11. Susan Lindauer, the CIA, the, for the former CIA asset. Um... She was in. She was in an open asset. You know, she wasn't like a secret agent or anything like that. But she was one of the people who is now blowing the whistle about what happened on 9/11 before and after. And she was explaining how even before 9/11, the intelligence community was being propagandized towards this oncoming attack. Everybody knew about it. FBI knew about it. CIA knew about it. You know. Um, it wasn't unknown at the time that there was going to be a terrorist attack in the in the intelligence community. So, like, and they knew exactly how it was going to come too. They knew that someone was gonna that someone planned on flying planes into the towers in New York City. They just didn't have an exact date of when, but they had a, a good idea of the general time that it was going to happen. So when they, you know, George Bush went on TV, like, oh, no one, was it George Bush's ass? No one could have imagined terrorists would use planes. Motherfucker, yes, you did know. Like, you knew exactly that's, that's what they wanted to do, like, to the T. And Susan Lindauer was told to stay out of New York because there was supposed to be some kind of thermal nuclear device used as well. Okay? So, that's what she knew. Now... I was listening to Al Cuppet. I'm telling you folks, check out Al Cuppet. C-U-P-P-E-T-T. -T. Al Cuppet was talking about... I just listened to something from him from 1998. And 1998 now. He was talking about how there was supposed to be... You know, I wish I could pull up the video now. Um... There was supposed to be some kind of attack. Basically, no, excuse me, let me rephrase that. He explained how police departments and fire departments were being prepared for terrorism in a time when terrorism wasn't really a big thing. You know, we had Oklahoma City, you know, but like... We we didn't we weren't facing especially not Islamic terrorism anything like that, but they were being prepared for responding to terrorist acts in the United States, and he gave he he showed the audience a page from one of the pamphlets that was being handed out to these fire departments and police departments, and it was the you know the twin towers and it was funny because it was the twin towers and then one of the towers had a bullseye on it okay, and. As I was watching this the other day, it reminded me of the exact same thing that was happening with the intelligence community at the time. They were being propagandized. They, they were being prepared for this and they were being propagandized. The, the suggestions were being set, you know. And this is how I came up with the whole Peep the Propaganda archives. If you go to the hashtag Peep the Propaganda and go all the way down to the beginning, you'll see that there are a lot of, a lot of things a lot of, lot of ads up there, you know, giving subtle messages, subtle messages. But if you pay attention, you realize that, you know, we're starting to see some of it now. So it was stuff like that that 
made me create it. That's why I say peep the propaganda, because it's about the subtle messages, you know, the Twin Towers with a bullseye on it. I'm sure a lot of those people, I'm sure a lot of those people had no idea and still didn't make the connection, even when the towers were hit, they didn't make the connection. Now, oh, I have a pamphlet with the, with the towers on it, you know? Um... Uh, let me see. Oh, Mr. Eastland said, I checked him out after your last live stream. Awesome knowledge. Are you hip to Freeman Fly? He called 911 ahead of time based on the ritual calendars you've discussed before. Oh, no, Freeman Fly. I got to check that out. Thank you for that. See, this is why I love y'all. This is why I love y'all. Because y'all be dropping some jewels. Yeah, Fedco said... Two trillion was to be announced missing by Rumsfeld the next day. So let me put that into perspective for you, Fedco. The day before 9-11, Donald Rumsfeld explained, or he went and explained that $2.3 trillion was missing from the Pentagon. They just up and just lost $2.3 trillion. And in his talk, he was like, the Pentagon, right? He said, "The enemy is the Pentagon bureaucracy." <laughs> His pause was a little too, too, too long for my comfort. You know, they had auditors come in, and you know, they had reinforced part of the Pentagon, and they put them in that area that was being renovated, and then the next day, that same area. Got hit by a plane, in air quotes, for our radio listeners. And the auditors apparently were killed. What a coincidence. And just like that, America stopped talking about the $2.3 trillion that went missing. And it's funny because we're seeing a lot of talk about $2.3 trillion right now. As if someone just stuck them up like, give the money back, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, we'll put it to stimulus. Type of shit. <laughs> yeah. This is why I love y'all, man. This is why I appreciate your input. Because y'all know what you're talking about. You know? It's, it, man, when I, would, I was trained, when I would train with my big brothers... Big brothers and sisters, they would always say, steel, sharpen, steel. Steel, sharpen, steel. And that's what we do here on The Wake Up. I'd love to say this is all my information, but y'all know this isn't all my information. I just read shit, y'all read shit, we read shit, and we come together, we put our heads together and, you know, do our best to make sense of what's going on. So I really do appreciate y'all. That's why I call y'all the On The Wake Up Army. Oh, yeah, yeah, Fedco, you said the entire records are destroyed, just like that. Talking about records being destroyed, remember 1999, 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing, what is it, the Alfred P. Mira building? Oh, man, what records were in there? Oh, yeah, talk about records being destroyed. In the Oklahoma City bombing, all the information about Gulf War sickness was in that building. There was a lot of records. That was one of the things that was in there. The Gulf, the Gulf War sickness records. Because 
19, the early, was it, 1990, 1991, when the U.S. went into Iraq the first time. The um, soldiers were receiving the anthrax vaccine, doing horrific shit to their bodies. Between the anthrax vaccines and, what was it, it was a few things, it was the anthrax vaccines it was the depleted uranium rounds that they were using. And I believe it was the gases that they were burning. All that stuff played, uh, created a, a genetic roulette situation in their bodies. Where some of these people, you know, they were some of these soldiers coming home and making babies. They, you know, inside out babies and shit. Ho fucking horrific shit. You know? Uh, all kind of problems. All kind of health problems, lingering health problems. And a lot of that information was destroyed in the Oklahoma City bombing, coincidentally. You know? So, nobody could ever be held liable for it. And tonight, as we talk about fascism, a lot of people think that, because this all wraps in. A lot of people think that fascism is like Hitler, Stalin type shit. That's that's yeah, that's fascism, but that's not what fascism is. Y'all people mistake fascism for authoritarianism. Those are two different things. You can have fascism without authoritarianism to a certain extent. But fascism is in essence, corporatism. Plain and simple. Corporatism. Fascism is when you have government that works in the interest of the corporations. So I just want folks to just sit back and think about that for a moment. Okay? Fascism is corporatism. When your government works towards the corporate interests, when the government creates laws that benefit the corporations over the people, when the governments hold a certain amount of influence over your government, government officials, and ultimately over the people of any given nation, okay? Corporatism. That's what fascism is. And I'm just looking because I know I have some excerpts about fascism that I posted a little while ago. Just seeing if I could pull that up for you. Because, you know, we're living under a form of fascism right now. And the sooner we can recognize that, sooner, you know, because people, people want to protest and you know, like, I always say, like, a protest is not a revolution, ladies and gentlemen. Protest isn't a revolution. Protest is a protest. People, and, and I don't want to go too much into that now, because we're going to talk about revolution. That has its own topic. That That's its own thing tonight. But it's fascism, so... I looked up different definitions of fascism that are more appropriate than authoritarianism, okay? Fascist corporatism. 
Fascism's theory of economic corporatism involved management of sectors of the economy by government or privately owned organizations, corporations. In Italy, from 1922 until 1943, corporatism became influential amongst Italian nationalists led by Benito Mussolini. Okay, so economic corporatism involved management of sectors of the economy by government or privately controlled organizations. Okay, so you can think about, just think about something simple like, I don't know, like the Federal Reserve, right? Federal Reserve is a private, for-profit organization that controls the money of our nation. You know, it has a board of governors. Uh, most people don't really know who the fuck they are. I think I did screenshots or something like that, you know, to find them. But for the most part, people don't really know who the board of governors are. But these are the people who hold so much sway over our economy. The, the, um... The interest alone, like, I don't know what the interest is right now, but we owe the, the Federal Reserve so much money at this point because our government allows them to print the money. That's for Congress to do. Congress is the one who's supposed to be the only ones that uh, control money and, and print money and coin our money. But for some reason, we have this private for-profit bank who's doing it. And they... And they uh, our economy is based off the fractional reserve system, which means, let's say a bank has $100. With that $100 cash, they can loan out $1,000 or $10,000, knowing that they only have $100 cash. The Federal Reserve prints out money like it's going out of style, and every time they print money, we go further and further into debt. This is, now, I know I've mentioned this many times, I'm reading this book, Thieves in the Temple, by the late Andre Eglishan, rest in power, Andre Michael Eglishan. Uh, I just found out he passed, I didn't even realize it until I actually got his book, because this guy, man, I heard about this book years ago, probably more than a decade ago, and I'm mad that I just got it now. But, hmm, let me read you this excerpt I, from page 116, okay? This is, um, so this guy, um, because he goes into so many different areas, but he says, Today we can read the, uh, the Intimate Papers of Colonel House by Charles Seymour and discover that Colonel House sent two telegrams from England to President Wilson urging him to enter the war. So this is Colonel, what's his name? Mandel House speaking to Woodrow Wilson. Says, quote, America has come to the parting of ways when she must determine whether she stands for civilized or uncivilized warfare. We can no longer remain neutral spectators. Our position amongst nations is being assessed by mankind. In the event of war, we should accelerate the manufacture of munitions to such an extent that we could supply not only ourselves but the Allies and so quickly that the world would be astounded. End quote. Congress was whipped into action by the Wall Street-controlled press and the president. And so with the sinking of the Lusitania, that was one of the major catalysts for America to get into World War I. But 
someone had put that boat in the water with munitions in it in order to drag the U.S. into World War One. And if you know about the Balfour Declaration, right? Balfour Declaration was a was an agreement that was signed that basically guaranteed that the U.S. It was um, I guess Lord Balfour in in England, in the United Kingdom, he promised that, or he was promised that if the U.S. was brought into World War One, that Israel or the Jewish people would be given Palestine as their homeland. Okay? So they said, if we, so this is what the Israeli or the Jewish people told Lord Balfour. He said, if we, if you get the U.S. to come into, excuse me, what they told Balfour is, if we get the United States to come into World War One, into this war with Germany, then you have to promise us Palestine as the Jewish homeland. And they had to make good on this when the U.S. somehow mysteriously came into World War One. The there's a thing with these um these central banks, this fractional reserve system where war is good for the government. That's some shit that people Yeah, thank you. Our servicemen are a little sacrificed. Thank you, Mr. Eastland. That's right. Something that people gotta understand that with the Federal Reserve and the with the, the central banking system that we have, war is a good thing. War, because then they can just keep borrowing from the central bank. The central bank keeps creating money, but ultimately it depresses the people, it debauches the currency. Okay? That's the... what we're experiencing right now. Okay? War is always good for these people. It's never good for us because we're the ones that all ultimately get sent to war. But this is what happens in fascism, okay? So this is just to illustrate what I'm talking about. There are many different industries that benefit from our government more than the people do. Ooh, Mr. Eastling hitting some shit. He said, and that's what 9-11 was about, to expand the Greater Israel Project as described by Wesley Clark. Ooh, goddamn. You said it. So, I looked at what is a corporatist state. Corporate, corporate statism, state corporatism, or simply corporatism is a political culture in the form of corporatism closely related to fascism, whose adherents hold that the corporate group, which is the basis of society, is the state. Okay? Think of all the lobbyists that come and court our politicians. Right? They come and they say, oh, you know, we'll give you this amount of money, put this amount of money towards your election campaign or your re-election campaign. All right, it would be the pharmaceutical industry, the oil industry, natural gas industry, uh, telecom, uh, telecom industry, uh, you name it, you know. And, and there's a whole a whole chart I'm gonna go over in a little bit. But th these are the type of people that you know they 
like from what I understand at this point, even medical schools, you have the pharmaceutical industry writing books for medical students. Right? Writing books for medical students. So, and like folks, like I said, I'm going to tell you right now, go to onthewakeupradio.com. I'm about to start using some some hot words that are going to get people kicked out and frozen from this live stream. I'm just letting you know right now. <sighs> Give you a moment to do that. But you can still keep this on. You can still keep the, the IG live on. But I'm just letting you know that things might get a little dicey. From this point on, okay, from this point forward, things might get dicey in this live stream. Because I'm not going to hold my tongue. So, Brandy Vaughn, rest in power. She was a pharmaceutical industry whistleblower. And she used to work for, I can't remember which one she worked for now. I, I, uh, I don't recall which one's she worked for but she worked for the pharmaceutical industry and she was explaining that she's the one that I first heard it that said that the vaccine that the uh, excuse me the pharmaceutical companies write some of the medical books and so do you think that there's any chance that when these people they pay all this money, they get their their do, they get their uh, doctorate, you know, their medical doctors now they come out of school, that they're gonna go against the pharmaceutical industry, that they're gonna say that vaccines aren't good. Brandy Vaughn was under the impression that no vaccine was good. Okay, so here you have a perfect example of. In industry, the, the pharmaceutical industry who has completely infiltrated our government on every level. And this isn't some conspiratorial shit. Like, this is what's actually going on right now. And, you know, uh, it's, not, it's not to be taken lightly. It's easy for people to kind of gloss over that. Oh, yeah, that's just the way things go. Like, no, that's fucking not the way things go. That's not just the way things go. But... You have these lobbyists who, you know, like our elected, I call them selected officials. They're political whores, ultimately, you know, they're over there dancing for dollars. You got these fucking lobbyists just peeling off dollars on these hoes. Like, ah, <laughs> you're going to pass this bill. You're going to pass this legislation, slut, <laughs> you know, these fucking uh, politicians over there. <laughs> What's that movie? What's that movie with Demi Moore sleeping with the enemy type shit? You, you know, you got the politicians. You can just imagine them on the fucking bed, the bed of money, just rubbing that shit on their titties, you know, on their little man titties. <laughs> that Those are our politicians. Oh, yeah, right, with the opiates. There's another one, right? Thank you. Listen, if you have, if you have, a fascist angle that you want to throw out, just throw out. If I know it, I'll speak on it. Right. The opiates, right? Look at the opiate crisis right now. Look at the opiate crisis that we're experiencing right now. 
The Taliban, you know, we can say they're bad guys, right? By, by the way, the Taliban, I think they're finally in like their late 30s and 40s now too, the Taliban government, okay? Because before the U.S. went in there, they had been faced with so much fucking war. Those Taliban, they were like 23 at the time that before 9-11 went down, okay? In 2001, when they were being, you know, honored by the United Nations or whatever for cleaning up, you know, the opium, whatever, opium production. At around that time, they were like 20 years old, 23 years old. They were children, right? Young adults. So now they're finally in their 40s, I guess. Sidebar to this whole conversation. But, so the Taliban, they... They had cleaned up opium production over a period of, you know, a couple decades. They cleaned it up. They stopped the opium farmers. And, yeah, you know, they were definitely harsh and brutal. But, you know, the, put it like this. Afghanistan, I, look at pictures of Afghanistan back in the 1950s. You know what I'm saying? You see the... Beautiful Afghani women walking around with their little mini skirts and shit like that. Like, everything looked progressive. Everything looked flying, sexy, and progressive. Mini skirts in Afghanistan in the 1950s. Then comes the Western world to just fuck it up. And before you know it, turns into some, uh, what do you call it, harsh Islamic fundamentalist bullshit. You know, you had the Soviets in there in the 1970s. <clears throat> and the Soviets... They fought their war because they thought they were going to take Afghanistan. Listen, motherfuckers, you do not attack motherfuckers who have been fighting off invaders for 2,000 years, okay? They always win. They will always come out on top. These people are these people are used to having their nation invaded, okay? So, Taliban had completely wiped out opium production. Then Baby Bush, President Baby Bush goes in there with his group of assholes... I'm not talking about the military. I'm talking about the fucking neocons, okay? That's the George Bush. I hope y'all are taking notes. I haven't said it in a while. Take out your pens, papers, notebook, text, edit, whatever you got to do to take notes, okay? George Bush went in there with his neocons. That's the George Bush Jr., Condoleezza Rice, the Richard Armitage, the Paul Wolfowitz, the Dick Cheney's, the... Uh, or Donald Rumsfeld, the uh, what's that other guy's name? That little weasel motherfucker, man. I say, what's that? Oh yeah, is it Richard Pearl? Is he is he the other one, Richard Pearl? You know, all those neocons. They went over there and they secured. You know, one it was to secure the land for the pipeline that they wanted to put through it. But as soon as the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan, oh, the opium production magically explodes. Okay. And then two decades later, we have an opium crisis in the United States. Do you think it is a coincidence, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, they have U.S. service members guarding opium fields <laughs> in Afghanistan right now. This this is the shit that you can't make up. Thank you, thank you. Project for a new American century. Thank you. Y'all are so fucking intelligent. Oh my gosh, Project for a new American century. PNAC. Okay. PNAC, see, this is a project for a new American century goes back to, what, mid, what is it, mid to late 90s, something like that, where they said that basically they're going to need a new Pearl Harbor in order to galvanize the American people 
for further aggression overseas, all right? Because they wanted to carve out the Middle East and the world in the image of the United States. Ultimately, that's basically what PNAC is in a nutshell, the project for a new American century. And lo and behold, what happens in 2001? They get their Pearl Harbor. Coincidence? Probably, right? Because there's no way that they could plan some shit like that out and it actually happened, right? So... Again, going back to fascism, that's pharmaceutical industry fascism, you know? Look at the, the schedule for vaccinations at this point. Because we're bringing this full circle to 2020, 2021. 2010 to 2020 was what they called the decade of vaccination, something along those lines. And the decade of vaccination was at the by the end of it they wanted to have full vaccine compliance for adults. Okay? They already had the children in there, but they wanted the the full vaccine compliance for adults now, okay? And in that vaccine schedule, you have like over 300 vaccinations that they want to put into motherfuckers. Listen, y'all. I'm not cut out for that type of shit. You know? Uh, some of us are. I'm just not one of those type of people. And I'm guessing a lot of y'all are too. So again, 2020, you know, and I think it was 2019, 2018, 19. They had that measles scare up in upstate New York, in Rockland County. That's not really upstate. And, you know, they were talking real loosely about, one, quarantining people, but then, you know, forcing these vaccines on us. So, that that one didn't work. That fucking propaganda didn't work. So, what did they bring in in the year 2020? But this coronavirus shit. Now, some people might say it's an act of God that the decade of vaccination ended in 2020 and this coronavirus popped up in 2020, right? Some people might call it an act of God. Other people might say it's a fucking setup. Okay? Because what are the chances? Man. I recently went on Facebook. I don't go on Facebook that often. So I don't want to get in trouble. I was getting in trouble like almost 10 years ago on Facebook. So I just stopped. I was like, alright, let me just leave my page. Just let that shit sit there so people can go back and reference it, you know, years later. It's probably been like 5 years. Not 10, not 6, 7, 8 years, something. But I went and found an old article that I had posted. I've referenced it on this show, too. It's about a gain-of-function study on a bat coronavirus. And the headline said, "Is will this be the new pandemic? A fucking bat coronavirus. How'd they know that back in 2015? What a coincidence, right? I mean, come on. I'm just, I'm just telling you, folks. So, 
again, fascism. This is what fascism is, okay? This is your your uh, government working for the benefit of the corporations, all right? The political culture and form of corporatism closely related to fascism whose adherents hold that the corporate group, which is the basis of society, is the state. Just look at the news. Everything is about the corporations. When the stock market goes up, they're celebrating. When it goes down, listen, man, yeah, that has a little bit to do with it. The, the market, the, there's only certain people that are really making money from the market. And, those, and it's the people who are doing the insider trading, okay? It's not the peons like, like us who are benefiting from it. Um... You remember just a few, a few weeks ago when they had the GameStop thing going on with Robin Hood, right? <laughs> and all those people basically they put that hedge fund to shame. But I, I was watching TV and you had this hedge fund guy on. It was on one of these channels. I wasn't actually, I caught the clip on YouTube or something like that. I don't want to lie. I wasn't watching TV. I caught the guy on on some clip. And he's like, he was crying. <laughs> Whether he was crying or fake crying, this man was upset because these regular Redditors had basically beat the hedge funders at their own game. Wasn't even his hedge fund. He wasn't even part of that shit. But he felt for those hedge funders who were losing their money because of that. Fuck those people. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Eastland. He said, Har harnessing human energy as a commodity, it's tangible capital. That's right. Um, this is another one. What is the difference between capitalism and corporatism? Capitalism is an economic system that recognizes individual rights, while corporatism is a political and economic system that seeks social justice and equality among individuals. What? Capitalism it is an individualist society while corporatism is collectivist. Now, this is that's all for difference between dot net. But I have to ask the question who wrote that definition? Isn't that interesting? I'm gonna read that again. Capitalism is an economic system that recognizes individual rights. While corporatism is a political and economic system that seeks social justice and equality among individuals. So, individual rights, according to this definition, individual rights are, if I'm reading this right, you can't have individual rights and social justice and equality among individuals? Is that what this definition is saying? So now, look at the different organizations, groups, movements who are pushing for social justice. They're ultimately pushing for corporatism. So, this is interesting because I, I haven't read this in a couple months now, a couple weeks. If that's really the definition, this is what I'm saying. This is why we need to look at, like, a lot of times people don't know what they're, what they're asking for or what they're promoting. 
And so they need to dig a little bit deeper into it to see the truth of it. Corporatism and capitalism are two different things, according to these definitions. I'm going to read this one more time. Capitalism is an economic system that recognizes individual rights. So in the United States, I don't know what country everyone's hailing from here. But in the United States, we have individual rights. Everybody, every individual has rights. Okay? It's not like we are given rights as groups of people. You know? Because I'm black, I have different rights than a white man or an Asian man. No, that's not really how it goes. Each individual has rights, inalienable rights, inalienable rights. That can't be taken away. Technically can't be taken away. Capitalism is an economic system that recognizes individual rights. While corporatism is a political and economic system that seeks social justice and equality among individuals. Okay? So, what... For the people who are pushing for social justice right now... They're pushing for corporatism. The people who are pushing for social justice are pushing for corporatism. The people who are pushing for social justice are pushing for corporatism. Corporatism is fascism. Okay? I want to make sure y'all can hear me in the back, okay? Okay? <laughs> the people who are pushing for social justice are pushing for corporatism. This is why you have the big Nikes behind Black Lives Matter. Who's behind Black? Come on, man. Who's putting money into Black Lives Matter and pushing this right now? You have hey, you have Nike. You have um fucking Barclays. Uh, you have who else? You know what I'm saying? The the NFL now is getting on this Black Lives Matter thing. They say George Soros is a big funder of Black Lives Matter. This is fucking corporatism, okay? The, the Antifa, the anti-fascists. Who, who's putting money into Antifa? Who's giving them, the, you know, who's bailing them out of jail? Who, who's organizing them? Who's paying them? Okay? Fascists. Corporatists. I'm just leaving that there. I'm just putting it on record, okay? Those who are fighting for social justice are fighting for corporatism, according to this definition. All right? Moving on. <clears throat> um, so this right here. I'm not going to read all this. This is from Benito Mussolini. <clears throat> Y'all should check him out because he's the one that, that basically created fascism. I will read this small excerpt from him. This article co-written by Giovanni Gentili is considered the most complete articulation of Mussolini's political views. This is the only complete official translation we know of on the web. Copied directly from an official fascist government publication of 1935. This is the fascism doctrine, okay? Like all... Let me see. I only have a little clip of this. 
Like all sound political conceptions, fascism is action and it is thought. Action in which doctrine is imminent and doctrine arising from a given system of historical forces in which it is inserted and working on them from within. One, it has therefore a form correlated to contingencies of time and space, but it, but it has also an ideal con content which makes it an expression of truth in the higher region of the history of thought. Two, there's no way of exercising a spiritual influence in the world as a human will dominating the will of others unless one has a concept conception both of the transient and the specific specific reality on which that action is to be exercised and of the permanent and universal reality in which the transient dwells and has its being to know men one must know man and to know man one must be acquainted with reality and its laws there can be no conception of the state which is not fundamentally a conception of life and so on and so forth Benito Mussolini. Ooh, how about this? Mr. Eastland said, how about this? Corporatism ultimately is Zionism. Ooh, that's dangerous talk. Ooh, we're talking about the Khazarian nomads now. Whew. I think so. I think that's a fair stretch because, you know, most of what we do in this country is to benefit them. You know, people don't want to talk about it. But that's what's really going on, you know. I did. I made a meme. I'll put it up maybe later on. We got any Mad Max fans in here? You remember? <clears throat> you remember Master Blaster? <laughs> Israel is master, and the United States is blaster. I don't get the reference, don't worry, I'll put up a meme about it. <clears throat> um Yeah, yeah, we're gonna talk about this depopulation agenda too, because it goes right along with the fascism. Where so you know so we just had to lay out kind of that definition of fascism first so that we could, you know, really dive into what we want to talk about today. All right. So, so much shit, so much stuff. So some of the. I mean, I know y'all can't see this ch this chart right here, but this is from Craig B. Hewlett. I know I haven't mentioned his name in a while, but Craig B. Hewlett, he's one of those individuals who really has, you know, done a lot of work. And, and really named names when it comes to, you know, fascists. But there's a huge cross-section between the federal government and different industries. You have federal government and big oil, Comcast, uh, GE, Goldman Sachs, the media, Monsanto, pharmaceuticals, you know, and he, he names names, like, okay, these are old names, I don't know if these people are still in these positions at this point. 
Ooh, you said, damn, dangerous. You said, which corporate entity is going to sponsor, underwrite the third temple? That's a good question. I don't know. I wonder if, if CMEX is going to play a role in that at, uh, at all. Um, <laughs> CMEX. CMEX in their uh, bone and blood mixture and all that shit. You know, that would be appropriate for building that. That godforsaken temple. But, you know, th this this cross-section between the federal government and, and all these different industries and corporations, you know, like I said, Craig B. Hulak, I mean, he, he's named a lot of names of people who, where they've had, like, okay, this one from the U.S. Treasury Department, Alan Homer, he was the CEO of Firma, P-H-R-M-A, okay? Jeff Kindler, New York Federal Reserve Bank under Obama. Jeff Kindler, he was the, at one point the CEO of Pfizer, okay? USF, USFCS Commerce Department under Obama. Suresh Kumar, the VP in Consumer Products of Pfizer, National Institute of Health under Obama, James Schitt. Government Government Relations, Bristol Myers and Squibb. Okay? So these are just, you know, few names on this long list of motherfuckers, you know? But you have a lot of people who become lobbyists, they become you know, they go to specific uh parts of the government and work in areas specific to their to their um, skill set. Then they bounce back to the private sector. So they go back and forth. This is like textbook fascism. <laughs> We're seeing right now folks. And it means everything right now. Because you know. In one of our past episodes. One of our recent episodes. It was called Swan Song of the Elites. Where. I kind of feel like. You know. The. They know that the people are on to them. So they kind of just said, fuck it. They're just throwing everything at us right now. They're hitting us with this, sh this shabby-ass pandemic. Listen, it, I, I, it's not that I don't think this is real. I just think we're not being told the truth of what we're experiencing right now. Right? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Eastland. The public-private partnership. Exactly partnership in air quotes you know and so it's not like I don't think this is all the way fake I just think there's stuff that we're not being told about what we're experiencing right now with this pandemic there are treatments that that you know there have been treatments that were not the vaccines and they kept telling us propagandizing us and telling us that we can't get back to normal until everyone is vaccinated. Well, fuck you. You know what I mean? Fuck you with all that shit. Nobody trying to hear that. Can't get back to normal. Like, the, the, to think that there will ever be a normal again. There won't be a normal until these tyrants have been properly smited by the people. That's the that's the truth of the matter. These 
these fucking people, there, there's been all kind of treatments from the hydroxychloroquine to the COVID organics out in Madagascar. You had several presidents, African presidents who were speaking out against this thing. They all ended up dead in the last year. I think four four African presidents ended up dead in the last year. They all coincidentally had to have uh, happened to have a similar stance towards COVID, you know. So these these elites and these fascists are making examples of people right now, and you know they definitely want to drag us into some more wars. They just they're keeping us distracted, keeping us distracted however they can, but. And that's why I wanted to, to, you know, go into fascism first. Just deal with that so we understand what it is. It's not authoritarianism. It is corporatism. Period. Okay? Once people understand that, then other things will make more sense. Alright? Um, let me see. Oh, yeah. So, Brandy Vaughn, she worked at Merck. And she was one of the people that was selling Vioxx, okay? And Vioxx was later recalled because it killed and injured so many people. So she was one of the people that sold that. And at the time she was doing it, she did not know that, she did not know how dangerous it was. But eventually she found out how dangerous it was. And so she, you know, she completely left that world. And then eventually came back to the United States as an activist, Ooh, Mr. Eastland, he's just on it tonight. Mr. Eastland said, DARPA and NSA top people go to Silicon Valley. The rest of the Pentagon goes into defense contractors. HHS people go into pharma. And the CIA has moved underground in Colorado. <sighs> Talking that good shit. And you know, um, Colorado, according to Bill Cooper, that's supposed to be one of the headquarters of the NWO. HHS, Health and Human Services, are funny enough... Health and Human Services, do I have it right here? I don't know if I have it right here. Health and Human Services, they've been training in domestic special operations since, what, 2000 something, 2006, something along those lines. They've been training in domestic special operations for a long time. And it begs the question, did they know something was coming? Oh, <clears throat> I found that article I was telling you all about too. This is from November 17th, 2015. Scientists just created a dangerous new form of SARS. Alright? It's been well over a decade since the SARS virus captured the attention of the world and very nearly devastated the global population. Between 2002 and 2003, the virus managed to infect over 8,000 people across 37 countries, nearly 10% of who were killed before the outbreak was fully contained. Now scientists have created a highly potent hybrid of the virus, which has since been dubbed SARS 2.0. Okay? The new strain is very similar to SARS, but it's modified to be more contagious for humans. Essentially, it is a mix of between... It is... Essentially, it is a mix between a type of SARS that infects mice and a new form of SARS that has recently... That was recently found in Chinese horseshoe bats called SHC-014. 
This is an article from 2015, ladies and gentlemen, okay? This is like so you see I'm not making this shit up. There's another one, Motherboard Tech by Vice. Ethical questions arise after scientists brew powerful super excuse me, brew super powerful SARS 2.0 virus. Okay? This is this is you know this was a common practice that gain of function research is what it was all right, um, this is from again from the Vice article. <clears throat> More than a decade after its outbreak, the name SARS still incites memories of worldwide panic over a disease that we thought at the time couldn't be stopped. Now. Thirteen years later, scientists have created a hybrid version of a virus that could be the world's next pandemic, a SARS 2.0. This is a fucking article from 2015 because the U.S. government was doing so many, so it was doing this gain of function study. And a lot of people were ringing the alarm back then because they knew something was fucked up. Okay, I'm just telling y'all this because... It's so easy, again, it's so easy to think that this thing just popped up on us. But I'm reading you an article from 2015 that says, Now, 13 years later, scientists have created a hybrid version of a virus that could be the world's next pandemic, a SARS 2.0. And what is the world's next pandemic? A SARS 2.0. Okay? Surprise, motherfucker. It happened. <laughs> You know, so I don't need to keep reading these. You know, y'all y'all got the point. That's the playing field that we're dealing with right now. Okay, and again, it goes back to fascism because who's doing this stuff? It is the 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 mix between the, the corporate interest and the government interest. You know. Someone's able to do this type of research and create these superbugs and completely fuck us in the process. And somehow, some way, the superbug manages to escape. And now we're, you know, on worldwide lockdown. Again, is it a coincidence? Did this just happen to get out? Or did someone make this happen? That's a question you should answer yourself. So, you know, Mr. Eastland was talking about HHS. I'm still looking to see because, you know, we talked about this in other shows, so I don't want to go too deeply into it. But, yeah, HHS is one of those bureaucracies who is given all that um, guns and uh, ammunition. And... They, you know, they received hollow points. They received $121 billion of, un, a billion? $121 million of unaccounted for weapons, ammunition, training. Makes you think that they knew something was coming. Because Health and Human Services is training in domestic special operations. You know, domestic special operations. Like, dude, what what the hell is that? Like, what does that mean? Domestic special operations, you know? But now we, you know, we have a better idea of what that means. Because, again, we're in the middle of this pandemic. And if... <laughs> Did y'all see that movie Songbird? I saw it. 
I'm not, I don't want to say, it wasn't really a good movie. It was more like a, a commercial or an advertisement for what these cocksuckers want to do to us. That's the best way to uh, to describe it. Um, Mr. Eastland said, on the subject of reparations, though, how do you think that will play out within the neo-corporatist delusion veiled as social justice? I don't know. And I'm going to go into reparations in a, in a little bit because I want to cover revolution first. You know, this, um, because that's a good question. I, I can't, I can't say how it's, how it's going to play out. I don't know. I know where, how people need to approach it. Different ideas, you know, I have different ideas about how it could be approached. <clears throat> but we'll get, get into that in a minute. Basic, universal basic income is a bad idea. That's a bad idea because you are just, you know, sucking off the government's teat in the end of the day. That's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. I don't care what it is. <clears throat> People should be, well, like I said, we'll get into that. We're going to revolution. Ladies and gentlemen... Art of War. This is a pocket art of war. You all should. Um, I hope by now anyone who's been listening for a while has picked up their version of the Art of War. Has delved into it so that we could talk, that we could dialogue about this. Because, so, you see these protests. You know, I've been watching this. Uh, let me give you just a brief history, Kazi, your, your brother Cam's background. Okay, so... My, my, um, my history, you know, I guess you say I, I was an activist at one point. I don't really consider myself an activist, though, but I've been active. And it started out in the early 2000s, again, after 9-11, that's where all that, I was in my first year of college, and all that just kind of <clears throat> fell, fell together, fell into my lap at that point, if you want to say that. Where before, before the um, the Iraq War, I guess was it Iraq? Yeah, we had gone to Afghanistan, and now Baby Bush wanted to go into Iraq, and so you know I went out there, I protested. There was a big protest, anti-war protest that was you know hundreds of millions of people, largest protest in human history at that point, and I was in doing it down in Virginia. Then I got in, involved in, you know, more revolutionary organizations. I had friends who were in Amnesty International, but that wasn't... Something about that didn't rub me the right way, the Amnesty International. I couldn't put my finger on it. So I was a part of another organization. And, you know, we were organizing around specifically around a brother who had been shot by the cops down in, in Newport News, Virginia. His name was Victor Carter, a.k.a. Imperial. Victor Carter, he, um, was some situation, he got pulled over driving his sister's car, I think. He had just gotten out of jail or out of prison. He said, I can't go back. He ran off, he ran away. Cops chased him down. He slipped on some leaves. 
and he had a gun on him. Gun popped out. Now, Virginia, you know, one year, guns are legal in Virginia. But because he was a felon, probably couldn't have a gun. So he probably thought that was it. So gun pops out. He's laying on the ground. Cop says, pick up the gun. He goes and picks up the gun. While he's laying on his stomach, the cop says, drop the gun. Shoots him. Somewhere in here, and he fucking bleeds out. This was right in front of a school, and it was at the time, you know, around the time the schools were let out. So the children saw all this happen. And uh, my brethren, he was a substitute teacher at the time, which is how we found out the details of this. So cops killed this man. By the time news cameras and everything came on the scene, they took the blanket off of his body and were acting like they were trying to revive him. Real greasy, grimy shit. Newport News, Virginia. That's right. Newport News PD. Bad news. PD. That's what they did. And so, you know, we were kind of organizing around that and learned a lot about what really goes down, you know, because there weren't a lot of us... And we were able to speak with witnesses and people in the community who they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to come on camera. They didn't want to be recorded. This is before social media. But they didn't want to become that involved because in that particular area, Newport News, other parts of Virginia, when you go against the police, they come into your house in the middle of the night and drag you out. There's a young man... Antoine, oh, what's the brother's name? Antoine, it'll come back to me. But Antoine, he, um, Sedgwick. Antoine Sedgwick. After the OJ trial, Antoine Sedgwick was celebrating a little hard. Hampton, he was celebrating, you know, passing Hampton PD. Next day, the brother was found hanging by his own belt by at a, on a jungle gym, you know, where kids could easily find him. And they said it was suicide. One man's partying, having fun. OJ just won. Hangs himself by his belt in the park, on the jungle gym in the park where the little children can find him. Cops called it suicide, of course, okay? So that's how they get down... In that part of Virginia. You know, that's Nat Turner country. They got to keep their niggas in line. So, all that to say, when I was in school down there, this is, was like the climate of the area that I was, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of earning my activist stripes. And we dealt with all kind of shit, too, because we dealt with definitely some kind of, you know, Fed type shit. Like, there was just weird stuff going on around us. I don't even want to talk about it right now. You just got to take my word for it right now. These motherfuckers are gre- greasy. <laughs> and we learned very quickly that we were not safe doing that type of organizing in that type of environment. You know, when I was learning martial arts and all that stuff at that time, and training other people too. So... Yeah, 
You know, it, it's scary shit. You know, when we were a bunch of young kids. We were 18, 19, 20 years old at the time. And it just let us know how real it is. <clears throat> so that's why even now, when I see people who, you know, who call themselves activists, I always commend it. First off, I commend anybody who has that that type of activist spirit in them and who wants to do something. But I encourage you to read this book. Because there's a reason you are not getting the wins that you want to get. Okay? Quoth Sun Tzu. General Sun Tzu. Victory over multitudes by means of formation is unknowable to the multitudes. Okay? Everyone knows the form by which I am victorious, but no one knows the form by which I ensure victory. Therefore, victory in war is not repetitious, but adapts its form endlessly. Listen, when I tell people you should read The Art of War, especially people who are activists, revolutionaries, anybody, business people, you should read this book several times a year because you're going to glean something different from it every time. You read it and then you find out how to apply it to your life. This is, you know, I'm just going to go through certain things like strategic assessments, okay? Now, this is my thing. So let me just, before I even start with that, you see these protests that go on, these Black Lives Matter protests. Last year, I got to watch them. Like, I've been watching them for years now in New York. And it's the same program over and over. You would have people, I know if you're not from New York or you haven't been here, it's hard to get an idea of the type of distances I'm talking about. But you will have protesters start at 14th Street Union Square. They'll march from 14th Street Union Square all the way to the Brooklyn Bridge. Walk over the Brooklyn Bridge to downtown Brooklyn to the Barclays Center. That's a distance. That's not a short distance. But that is since about the time of the Mike Brown killing... Around that time, that has become the protest route, okay? When they first tried to march over the Brooklyn Bridge, it was like either 200, or what was it, 200 people or 700? I don't know how many people were trying to actually march across the bridge where the cars drive. And the police brought out the big orange net and they captured all those motherfuckers. How you capture 200 people with a net? <laughs> that shit sounds crazy But it actually happened You can look it up I think it was 200 people If it was 700 That's even more pitiful Because these people came For a protest But they didn't know That they were in a war Okay In wars there are strategies And there are tactics Alright Peacefully protesting Is a tactic to be used at an appropriate time, which is part of a strategy in a war, okay? 
in a cold war, in a soft war, you know, because you would never protest in actual war. If you were actually at war with somebody, you would not fucking protest. You would make yourself scarce and attack when appropriate and attack the right place. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay? Peacefully protesting is a tactic as a part of a strategy, okay? It is used it is used to show how you are morally superior to an oppressor. Okay? That's why Dr. King chose that particular tactic. It wasn't the whole strategy, but it was part of a tactic to show that they were morally superior. Look, you can beat us in our heads and we're that we're gonna turn the other cheek. You know, but Stokely Carmichael, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, said that you only, you can only use that type of appeal when your enemy or your opponent has a conscience. If they don't have a conscience, then you cannot use that type of tactic, okay? <laughs> Mr. Eastland said, as soon as Al Sharpton or Michael Moore, Occupy Wall Street, show up, it's time to leave. The mission has been co-opted. You're goddamn right. <laughs> as soon as they show up, you already know what time it is. So look, so this is for the people who are more serious about how to approach. Because this is the thing. This is the thing. You're protesting because you want to see certain actions taken. You know that you're not dealing with someone with maybe the same moral compass as you. Because you know the history. If you were out there, if you were out there protesting, then you should be thoroughly, yeah, what do you call it? Uh, you should be thoroughly acquainted with the temperament and the morality of your opponent. Okay. Quoth Sun Tzu, therefore measure in terms of five things. Use these assessments to make comparisons and thus find out what the conditions are. The five things are the way, the weather, the terrain, the leadership, and the discipline. Okay? The way means inducing the people to have the same aim as the leadership so that they will share death and share life without fear of danger. So you got that with people who are protesting, right? Talk about the way. The weather means the seasons. What is it? What's the seasons? What's the best time? Listen. What's the best time to protest? I'm just going to use New York. In a city like New York, probably spring, summer, fall. Definitely not the winter. Okay? But you, the winter can be used, especially when it's snowing. Okay? Not for protest, but maybe for some kind of gains that you might want to see. Because... In the winter, everything is frozen. Everything is shut down, okay? If there is ice on the road, I, I've seen, I've walked by police cruisers that were snowed in because someone didn't have, come by and shovel it out, okay? The weather. The terrain is to be assessed in terms of distance, difficulty, or ease of travel, dimension, and safety, okay? So when people are marching down from 14th Street Union Square to Barclays Center, that's a long distance. What is the, what is the 
the state of your army by the time you get down. Are they empowered or are they disheartened? Okay. Leadership is a matter of intelligence, trustworthiness, humaneness, courage, and sternness. Okay. Discipline means organization, chain of command, and logistics. I was at, because uh, I, I never go to protest to protest really, but you know, kind of just to have an eye out there for people, keep my eye on things and, and as, as teachable moments. Exactly, reading the room, right. So when, I'll try to make this story as short as possible. This is one of those cross the Brooklyn Bridge type of situations. We marched down from 14th Street Union Square, got down to to, um, to uh, police plaza, one police plaza. That's like the main police police uh, station in New York, protesting out there. And then we kind of people were on the roads, and then someone yells, "Everybody run on the bridge, yo!" All kind of motherfuckers ran onto the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, the Brooklyn Bridge is long, okay? You get that first burst of energy, and you might run, you know, 100 yards if you're strong. After that 100 yards, you're like, shit, it's going to be a long while before I get to the other side, okay? You're not going to have the energy to make it across. So, the group was split up. Whoever yelled that was an asshole, first and foremost. The group split up. The strongest ones ran onto the bridge. The group now separated because it was a huge group group now separated and a lot of the people who were on the bridge got arrested you saw people climbing up the rafters and shit to get away because they realized that they were trapped it was a fucking trap okay so now we're crossing the bridge crossing on the walking platform the pedestrian platform there's cops all around us you know helicopters in the sky all that shit crossing the brooklyn bridge we get down to the end of the bridge Someone yells, jump over the median. So all these motherfuckers start jumping over the median, jumping over. And the cops just snatching them out, just grabbing them, throwing them in the paddy wagons, okay? By this point in it, I learned because I got down there, you know, later. Because now there's like, we went from one huge group to about four separate groups at that point. Found by the time we got over there, we learned that the leaders of... This, pro this protest had been arrested at this point. So each time the strongest people and the leadership are being peeled off. So now you have a mass of people without direction walking around. So when I say discipline means organization, chain of command, and logistics. What was the chain of command in that situation? Long story short, I saw this whole everybody run thing happen several times. By the time we got to Flatbush, walking up towards Eastern Parkway and Grand Army Plaza, whoever was there said, shut that shit down. And they shut it down because, you know, that's the Kazari Nomad neighborhood. And they weren't having that shit. Not that day, okay? <laughs> so, and a lot of stuff happened. You know, I, I know I've talked about it on other shows. A lot of stuff happened. That day that I took note of, a lot of shit, saw a lot of fed shit going on. But whoever was yelling for people to run, every time they did it, the group would split up. The strongest ones would get ahead. There would be a scuffle with the cops. They would get arrested and repeat, okay? So at a certain point, I said, this shit's looking too crazy, and I bounced out of there, all right? I came back a couple hours later when it was, you know, later at night. 
found a group again. Now there's a small group of people who are standing in front of the precinct. There's some wily-eyed motherfucker who just yelling at the cops. I guess he was the leader. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the type of situation. If I was that dude, if I was that type of dude, I would have just got up in front of all those motherfuckers and took that thing over. But that's not my place. That's not what I wanted to do. But anybody could have come and taken over at that point. And <laughs> a lot of shit could have happened. You know what I'm saying? And this dude, he he had no negotiation skills because... Now they're in front of the police precinct, and one of the brass, one of the big brass motherfuckers came out. And I saw this dude. I didn't say anything to him. I wanted to, but I was like, nah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not a representative of this group, you know? Again, I wasn't trying to take that shit over, but I see this dude. That's the motherfucker that you want to talk to, okay? You got their attention now. Y'all are in front of the precinct. Talk to this motherfucker right here. Hell, you might even get something done, but... Discipline means organization, chain of command, and logistics. Maybe the chain of command, maybe he didn't get the chain of command orders. You know what I'm saying? He was looking stressed out. He was looking like, how the fuck did I end up in this position? Yelling, chanting slogans and shit. But, yo, y'all are at the door of the police precinct, but have no demands for them? Fuck out of here. Can't take y'all seriously. Can't take y'all seriously. What are you protesting for if you can't? Because now they got their attention. They got somebody's attention. I ain't never seen a cop like that in my life come out to a protest. But this dude, you were in front of his building. You made him come out. You know what I'm saying? I was King Cooper right there, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Could have said something, negotiated with this guy, but it was nothing. It was nothing. All I'm saying is, like, that's why y'all got to be mindful of these organizations, you know what I'm saying? That's why we're going through this art of war right now. What type of revolution do you want to see? What do you want to see? What is the purpose of your protests? Okay? More from General Sun Tzu. Every general has heard of these five things. Those who know them prevail. Those who do not know them do not prevail. Um, I really don't think that... These protests, these Black Lives Matter, I don't, they're not trying to win. Or whatever they're trying to win, it's not being revealed to the public and to the masses of the people who are out there protesting. The people, the masses of the people, in my opinion, who are out there protesting for these Black Lives Matter rallies, they're cannon fodder. They can give a fuck if they get locked up and ruin their lives. You know, look at what happened the other day with the, whatever this asshole's name is, Derek Chauvin, with that trial. How people were so ready to protest and burn some shit down. And when he was guilty, kind of threw people off. Like, oh shit. And then they went out there and they still, you know, they marched out of happiness. And then, they, you know, they started chanting, but they didn't know what the fuck they wanted to chant because they don't know what they want. And this is going to go right into the reparations conversation too. Believe it. So this is for, this is why my people, I'm telling you like, I've trained a lot of people over the years. And, you know, I, I have my army of generals out there. All right. This is for my army of generals. Therefore, use these assessments for comparison to find out what the conditions are. That is to say, which political leadership has the way? 
Okay, so who's your opponent? Which political leadership has the way, right? Which general has the ability? Do you know who the generals are? If you if you're gonna go out there, whether it's a protest or any other means to get what you want, do you even know who the leadership is that you could possibly come face to face with? Alright? Who has the better climate and terrain? Alright, where's the battlefield gonna be? Whose discipline is effective? The discipline is a whole other a whole other shit, right? Because you have to have rewards and punishments. Are you Let's say, because we got a lot of people who want to be, you know, leaders out here, who want to be some kind of political leader. If, if you tell your people, okay, protest. If you tell your people, listen, this is serious, lives are on the line, don't do anything to provoke the other side. And a motherfucker from your team throws a bottle into the crowd. Do you have a punishment for that individual that is befitting of that transgression? Do you have the stomach to mete out that type of punishment? This is why I'm saying like people aren't cut out. People, the, 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 what we're calling revolution ain't really revolution, folks. Okay, a protest is not a revolution. A protest can be a tactic and a part of a strategy in an overall revolution, but it's not a revolution, and that's okay. But know the difference. Whose troops are the stronger? Okay. Whose officers and soldiers are the better trained? Alright. Who's out there training every day to whoop some ass? Who's on social media all day? Whose system of rewards and punishments is clearer? Right? In certain, like, okay, think about, like, U.S. military. If you're in the military, you know don't step out of line because it's your ass, okay? You don't want to end up in the brig. You don't want to end up court-martialed. You don't want to end up uh, dishonorable discharge. Gotta fuck your whole life up. This is how you can know who will win. Plain and simple. So this is what I always talk about with people where you, if you're not doing these assessments of the situation then you have no concept on even if you can win, <laughs> let alone if you're gonna win, if you can win, all right? Um, this is why I tell people you should read The Art of War several times a year. Because you'll learn something. This is one for the U.S. too. Because I, I, I really think that the U.S. I don't know. I, I have this strange feeling that the U.S. is trying to lose. I know it sounds weird, right? But the U.S., we have one of the greatest militaries in the world in all of history. In world history, right? But they're violating the art of war and crippling this country. So I think it's intentional. And this is why it's important for, you know, people to step up too, because we have a government who's not in the, who's not really working in our favor. They're actually working against us and putting us into some compromising situations at the behest of these corporations. All right.
When resources are exhausted, then levies are made under pressure. When power and resources are exhausted, then the homeland is drained. The homeland is drained, all right? The common people are deprived of 70% of their budget, while the government's expenses for equipment amount to 60% of its budget, okay? Therefore, a wise general strives to feed off the enemy. Each pound of food taken from the enemy is equivalent to 20 pounds you provide by yourself. So one of the things is, when you're going to go see an enemy far off, you have to ship ship your resources over there. You have to ship your weapons and your armaments and your base camp and all that. You got to ship that shit over there. That costs money. That is money that is being drained from the general population. Prices go up, and this goes back to what we were saying, with the Federal Reserve and inflation. These people... These people uh, uh, profit off of war, okay? They're called war profiteers. That's some real shit that people need to understand, okay? Like, two hours ain't enough. Two hours ain't enough, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. So, this chapter is planning the siege. I don't know if... Oh, no, okay. So, um... All my Beyonce fans, she had a song called Formation. How's it go? All you mo motherfuckers, get your ass in formation. Something, something. She was over there throwing the Black Panther fist. I don't know. I feel like Beyonce maybe read The Art of War or something. Because, you know, maybe you could look up Formation and then stumble on The Art of War. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking, reading too deeply into that shit. There's a whole chapter in this book called Formation, okay? First line, in ancient times, skillful warriors first made themselves invincible and then watched for vulnerability in their opponents. Made themselves invincible, then watched for vulnerability in their opponents. Invincibility is in oneself. Vulnerability is in the opponent. So, if you don't find vulnerability in your opponent, then you sit your ass down and you wait until you do. Make yourself invincible, okay? This is why, that is why it is said that victory can be discerned but not manufactured. Invincibility is a matter of defense. Vulnerability is a matter of attack. Defense is for times of insufficiency. Attack is for times of surplus, okay? So you don't attack unless, attack unless you have a surplus. Plain and simple. This shit is simple shit. Simple rules that'll let you know when you're prepared to engage in any type of revolution, combat, anything like that, okay? This is interesting. Those skilled in defense hide in the deepest depths of the earth. Those skilled in attack maneuver in the highest heights of the sky. Who did they say was in the deepest depths of the earth? But didn't they say Bin Laden and them were in caves in Afghanistan, a cave system, right? That's why it took how many years to, to so-called locate them, right? And who's high in the sky? Who's in the heights of the sky, okay? These motherfuckers with their satellites and these space lasers and these directed energy weapons and the fucking laser-developed de atmospheric lens. Look that shit up. Therefore, they can preserve themselves and achieve complete victory. All right? 
To perceive victory when it is known to all is not really skillful. Everyone calls victory in battle good, but it is not really good. That's the thing, because like Bruce Lee said, his way of fighting was the way of fighting without fighting, right? You don't, by the time you get to armed conflict, that is like the lowest level of fighting, all right? <clears throat> and this goes back to the quote I read in the beginning, okay? Like Master Sun Tzu said, victory over multitudes by means of formation is unknowable to the multitudes. Everybody doesn't know how you win it. <clears throat> Everyone knows the form by which I am victorious, but no one knows the form by which I ensure victory. Yeah, I don't know what he did. Therefore, victory in war is not repetitious, but adapts its form endlessly. Okay? You have orthodox attacks and unorthodox. Orthodox and unorthodox, and then just a combination of all of those interplaying with each other, all right? <clears throat> so, and this is just food for thought, especially for people who may be, you know, revolutionary-minded. This is just something for you to chew on, okay? Simple shit. In ancient times, those known as good warriors prevailed when it was easy to prevail because they saw where they can win and they won. It wasn't a big mystery. They, they fought battles that were easy to win. You didn't go into a battle that, listen, if you do the proper assessment, then you know how to win. The, the planning takes place before you ever get out onto the battlefield, all right? So it is So it is that good warriors take their stand on ground where they cannot lose and do not overlook, overlook conditions that make an opponent prone to defeat, okay? And that goes in like the temperament of your, I'm telling you, I'm giving up game right now and you know, it's like, I, I wish I could even say more, but I want y'all to think for yourselves about the things that I'm saying right now. Because if you were to look at whoever you determine your enemy to be, if you were to just look at them, they have so many chinks in their armor. But, you know, for the most part, we're not even organized enough to have a conversation about actually fighting them. And then we're being assaulted on so many fronts too. It's not like they're they're not formidable because you gotta think these type of people, they run the media. You know, they, they, they're in control of most of the food, the resources, the water, the energy. You see what they did in Texas. Motherfuckers just shut the power off on them. Just cut the power off on Texas. Just oh, oh fuck your state for a few weeks. Oh, in the middle of a blizzard. A blizzard? Like what? In Texas? You know what I'm saying? So, we can pro, people can protest one aspect of the state, but it, it's, it's like a hydra. You know, that's why Craig Hewlett, Craig B. Hewlett, titled his book The Hydra of Carnage. Because it has multiple heads. You cut off one head and another one just pops up somewhere else. 
Then I guess, you know, like a Hydra, I guess you got to be like whatever that motherfucker's name is that cut off Medusa's head and freeze it. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, we have some intelligent people here. I guess y'all can figure it out. If you come up with a way, let me know. A way, how do you how do you freeze the Hydra and turn it to stone without killing millions of people? Because... If the gas shuts off, the oil starts stops running, that means food can't be delivered. If food's not delivered, people are going to starve or become, you know, there's going to be some Mad Max shit. If water's cut off, people are going to be thirsty, you can't water plants. It's just a whole shit show. It's like just a cascading downstream impact of, of you know, Disabling one part of this fascist economy. Like I say, you know, it's going to take some intelligent people to come together for some solutions. But, might as well start these conversations now, right? Let me see. This is the section about force. Um... Talked about the orthodox and unorthodox emptiness and fullness. Oh, here we go. Now this this applies to yeah. That's where being a moderately prepared gray man is helpful. Yeah, exactly, Mister Eastland. And I think that's ultimately what things are going to come down to. You know, and this is why it's important for individuals to be on point because. You know, it's hard to tell a whole group of people to do one thing or, or, or act a certain way. But I strongly encourage individuals. Like everyone on this line, people always ask me for solutions. What's my solution? Listen, have food, water, and not just food. Have nutrient-dense, non-perishable superfoods, okay? Water, water filtration system, weapons, uh, you know, uh, and just hunker down for the long haul, you know, and just be able to assess the playing field right now, okay? Have herbs, definitely have herbs, healing herbs and, and essential oils, you know, uh, purchase whatever you can paying, paying cash, especially those type of things because we have those HHS Domestic special operations, knuckle breakers, you know, who eventually will probably be kicking down people's doors. Like, listen, and that's still no guarantee that you won't be touched by what's going on outside. It's just a buffer against it because you have to remember you have, you know, millions of people who are completely unprepared, who are not having these conversations. When they hit the streets, you don't want to be in the streets, okay? We don't want to be in the streets. We want to be at home hunkering down with whatever food, water, and weapons that we have. You don't want to just use your weapons willy-nilly, especially if you have firearms. Bullets are becoming more and more expensive. You know, you have cutlasses and knives and shit. You don't want to dull your weapons on regular people. You want to use them on those who are the real bad men, okay? Exactly. 
Right, exactly. Drive a Corolla, not a shit hits the fan monster truck. Oh, they're looking for those. They're looking for the fucking... Trust me, man. They will commandeer those vehicles and throw those motherfuckers into a dumps facility so fast because they know they got the supplies. They say, oh, shit. <laughs> Is that a Wrangler <laughs> with monster truck tires? <laughs> and the fucking flood exhaust, whatever you call that. Oh, yeah, nah, give me that. Give me that. For the protesters, this is for the people, all the people, wherever they're coming from, you know, this is whether they're marching from Union Square to Barclay Center or wherever. Those who are first on the battlefield and await the opponents are at ease. Those who are last on the battlefield and head into battle get worn out. Okay? Therefore, good warriors cause others to come to them and do not go to others. This is extremely important. Because I see it over and over again where, like I said, it, it's predictable at this point. They say, okay, there's going to be a protest. One, Black Lives Matter, they announce the protest. Then they, they I guess, you know, it's, a, it's an already chosen route. So the police, they, get, they already know what to do. They say, okay, we're going to post up at Barclays Center because we've got to protect that property. They're going to come down there. People are going to march down. Yeah, they're going to stop traffic a little bit, but ultimately they're going to reach Barclays Center. And, you know, listen, cops getting overtime, all that shit. And then the people may or may not clash with the cops. They usually don't clash with the police, right? If they do, then they end up getting their asses kicked and get arrested because they're doing a so-called peaceful protest. Like rinse, wash, repeat, same shit over and over again and people have to pick different targets like I understand you know police brutality and all that shit but why are y'all clashing with the police the police are just you know code enforcers over militarized code enforcers then the paid knuckle breakers just doing my job as motherfuckers you know you see what happened on January 6th down at the Capitol now, that was, I don't even want to say that was a protest because it didn't go far enough, in my opinion, you know, because it, it, it put the fear of God into the politicians just a little bit, just a little bit. But now you got a big black fence around the Capitol building where that could probably never happen again in this country for another hundred years because that's too close to their genetic memory, you know, but and to me, that was a wasted opportunity. You know, I don't know what they were supposed to do with the politicians when they got there. But it's a wasted opportunity. Beware a real protest because ultimately the people that you want to protest are in that Capitol building. And, you know, they, they're too comfortable. Look what they're doing with this. They want to grab these guns, right? They want to take the firearms from the people. This is because they plan on doing something that, under normal circumstances, they would definitely get shot over, okay? And that's an ugly truth that people don't want to face, but that's what it is. Look, and this is the last thing I'm going to read from The Art of War. Your battleground is not to be known, for when it cannot be known, the enemy makes many guard outposts. And since multiple outposts are established, you only have to do battle with small squads. So when the front is prepared, the rear is lacking. And when the rear is prepared, the front is lacking. Preparedness on the left means lack on the right. Preparedness on the right means lack on the left. 
Preparedness everywhere means lack everywhere. Preparedness everywhere means lack everywhere. Preparedness everywhere means lack everywhere. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Protest and revolution are two different things, all right? And, you know, talking about this fascism, we understand now that fascism is corporatism. And, yeah, I heard they got the laptops of the politicians waiting to see what happens with that. So, um, talking about reparations now, right? Especially goes out to my melanated people because... I have a whole list and I forgot to um, pull it up before I started the show tonight. <clears throat> but, so we're, we're talking about reparations, right? And for my melanated people, yo, it, it sickens me to see that we're over here arguing about who shouldn't get reparations, right? Like... Leave it to niggas to argue about who shouldn't get reparations. Like, what? You think the Jews argue about who shouldn't get reparations? Who shouldn't be allowed into Israel? Nah. They let all their people come in and they figure it out internally. You think all the Jews get along with each other? Nah, they beef with each other. But <laughs> they do that shit internally. Away from prying eyes, okay? So talking about reparations now a lot of and this is for the white folks too because people tend to think that these reparations I, who knows like I think a lot of black folks uh, think it too that this is somehow going to come from white America and that you're going to be you know taking white people's houses and shit like that like there's nothing like that look it's already been determined by the UN. And I don't even fuck with the UN. But, you know. You. You gotta be strategic. Right? And if the UN put it on record that the US has committed human rights violations and that blacks in America are owed reparations then if you're a black in America, you run with that, okay? That was big headlines a few years ago. And there's a thing right now called the International Decade for People of African Descent. Within our black family, our melanated family, there are arguments about if we are African people, if we are Native American people. Listen, we're all of the above, all right? All of the above. Some of us are straight Native American. Some of us are Native Americans who came from Africa, okay, prior to the European slave trade. Some people are Africans who just, you know, who happen to be on this side of things when slavery started, okay? And so many variations of that. The Olmec, the Olmec G people. The Omeji, their language was deciphered using Mende, okay? 
they came over here like 3,000 years ago. So are they Native Americans or are they Africans? Okay? Where are their descendants? All right? Are their descendants the, the people of the Caribbean, the Carib peoples? Okay? So all this to say we're having the wrong conversations because then in the United States especially, you have blacks in this country talking about it, um, who shouldn't receive reparations, you know? Um, Caribbean people shouldn't. African people shouldn't. Listen, man. And then you got some blacks, some Africans and some Caribbeans and some so-called African-Americans, black Americans, who are saying, oh, well, I shouldn't get reparations because this and that. Nigga, shut up. Shut your mouth, okay? Listen. Let's talk about who's getting it. Let's talk about, let's just say Everyone's getting reparations and figure out where they're coming from, okay? This is, you know, the decade for people of African descent ends December 31st, 2024, all right? We are more than halfway through that decade, and most black people in this country have no clue that they are being honored internationally. It is no coincidence that we are in the middle of a pandemic right now. Besides that, I mean, there's a projection for the depopulation of this country. By 2025, this country is going to have 80% 80 fewer people, according to this Deagle report. Y'all heard what I said? By 2025, this was projected. This was predicted projected back in 2015. Now, he said by 2025, this country is going to have 80% fewer people. 80% fewer. What's my fucking calculator? I don't have my calculator on me right now. Y'all can do the math on that. Who would owe us reparations, though? That is the question. Where would the reparations be coming from? Okay, let's go back to the fascism, right? Because the fascism, we said it is a hydra. It's like the hydra, right? Which means it is a multi-headed beast. Look at the multinational corporations, all right? Because if you look at them, a number of them happen to have been involved in slavery, all right? The, the 151 of the 100 largest economies in the world are corporations. Were they involved in slavery? It just takes a little diligence to find out. Well, we're just going to list off some of them, okay? New York Life. New York Life found that its predecessor, Nautilus Insurance Company, sold slaveholder policies during the mid-1800s. New York Life, okay? Tiffany & Co. was originally financed with profits from a Connecticut cotton mill. The mill operated from cotton picked by slaves. Tiffany & Co., okay? Aetna, health insurance, right? Aetna insured the lives of slaves during the 1850s and reimbursed slave owners when their slaves died. Aetna insurance. Now, slave insurance, that's something that people can look into. That's a whole can of worms right there. Slave insurance. When you see how how many uh, how many insurance companies profited off of slavery, it'll make you sick. And it'll open up a can of worms that they probably wanted to leave closed. Fun fact. You know John Henry with the hammers and the train and all that shit? Yeah, John Henry was insured. He had slave insurance on him. 
Brooks Brothers. Brooks Brothers. The suit retailers started their company in the 1800s by selling clothes for slaves to slave traders. Brooks Brothers. Imagine that. Norfolk Southern Railroad. Two companies, Mobile and Girard and, and the Central of Georgia became part of Norfolk Southern. Mobile and Girard paid slave owners $180 to rent their slaves to the railroad for a year. The Central of Georgia owned several slaves. Oh, the White Dragon family? Yeah, I don't know much about that, so I'm not have to look into. Bank of America. We have any Bank of Bank of America customers? Bank of America found that two of its predecessor banks, Boatman Savings Institution and Southern Bank of St. Louis, had ties to slavery and another predecessor, Bank of Metropolis, accepted slaves as collateral on loans, okay? Slaves were collateral for loans. Oh yeah, according, oh yeah, Mr. Eastland, you're on it. He said, according to the surnames, owners on ship manifests in the biggest ports, Newport, Rhode Island, Charleston, South Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, there should be a lot of reparations from Israel. And see, this is the thing, because they don't want to have that conversation. Who do you think own these uh, slave insurance companies, okay? They don't want to have that conversation. That's why with all that fucking black anti-Semitism, like, this is the thing. This is why someone like Nick Cannon, anytime they try to hit you with the black anti-Semitism, you got to come with your facts, ladies and gentlemen. You got to come ready, like, armed and loaded and ready to have that conversation. When someone hits you with that shit, thank you, right? Because a lot of them happen to be Jews, you know? The, one of the oldest synagogues in this country is in Charleston or outside of Charleston, South Carolina. How do, how'd that happen? Okay. Who, who you think was running the textile industry down there? All right. We think they was, uh, trading, trading, taking, sending that cotton and that, um, indigo back to, back to London back then. Okay. Come on, man. This is why I love y'all. This is why I really appreciate everyone who's tuning in. said the Anunnaki are at the top of the enslavement of humankind. That is possible. That is possible. USA Today reported that its parent company, E.W. Scripps and Gannett, was linked to the slave trade. Is that like Scripps? Like Scripps Howard? You know, it's funny because when I was at, I, I told you I went to school at Hampton University. And they put up their Scripps Howard building. I wonder if that's the same Scripps that they were talking about. Wachovia, ooh, Wachovia Bank. Y'all remember Wachovia? Is that bank still around? Two institutions that became part of Wachovia, Georgia Railroad Banking Company and the Bank of Charleston, owned or accepted slaves as collateral on mortgage property or loans. They were, again, slaves as collateral. Fucking human beings as collateral. Okay? Wow, he said they... <laughs> Mr. Eastland said they had liquor mills and payday loan spots in those ports, too. Can't make this crap up. Wow. That's funny because, you know, you look at that today, payday loans. Like, again, that's that's Kazarian-owned business right there. You saw that rabbi. What was this man's name? What was this motherfucker's name? 
see if I can find it real quick for you. This this rabbi was talking about that shit. He was talking about the payday loans and all that. He said that is killing small business. That is mostly Kazarian run in this country at this point. And if the Goyim, which is what they call us, the, the savages, if the Goyim were to find out what they were doing to us, there would be another holocaust. What's this guy's name? Um, the, the cash advance business, the payday loans. Rabbi Yaron Reuven. If you can find it, it's on my page too. Ra Rabbi Rabbi, yeah, Rabbi Yaron Reuven said that if we were to find out what was being done, there would be another holocaust. They are destroying small business with this payday loans and cash advance business. But ain't nobody paying attention to that, right? Oh yeah, usury, the ancient wicked hustle again. Thieves in the temple, ladies and gentlemen, thieves in the temple. I highly recommend this book. Thieves in the Temple. Andre Eglishan. AIG. American International Group. Isn't that one of the ones that, that went under AIG? AIG purchased American General Financial, which owns U.S. Life Insurance Company. AIG found documentation that U.S. Life insured the, slave, the lives of slaves. Slave insurance. J.P. Morgan Chase reported that between 1831 and 1865, two of its predecessor banks, Citizens Bank and Canal Bank in Louisiana, accepted approximately 13,000 slaves as loan collateral and seized approximately 1,250 12, slaves when plantation owners defaulted on their loans. They accepted 13,000 slaves as loan collateral. 13,000 human beings as loan collateral. J.P. Morgan Chase. Are you banking with Chase? Are you banking with Bank of America? Now, J.P. Morgan Chase. Was it last year? It was the year before, 2018. No, yeah, 2018, I believe. J.P. Morgan Chase. One of their boats was caught, was, uh, was captured smuggling billions of dollars worth of cocaine JP Morgan Chase there was a this thing the spire I'm just going to pull this up for you okay it's the spire law group lawsuit just to give you an idea how deep this shit goes so when I say people are not having the right conversation, we're not having the right conversation. I'm worried about the wrong shit. Because if people really knew the depth of the wickedness, I mean, basically the Spire Law Group lawsuit, they did their fact-finding and discovered the amount of people that were, oh shit, oh wow, the amount of people and institutions 
that were involved in the laundering of money out of the U.S. This is crazy because this is from 2012. I'm just going to read October 26, 2012 to be exact. I'm just going to read off some of these names. And if you recognize any, you could raise your hand or throw a heart. Um, that's funny. You said the Biden-Harris presidential celebration party was held at the Chase Center. The logo is a variation of the swastika. Peep game. Like I said, this is from October 26, 2012. Okay. This is plaintiffs. This is against Bank of America, NA, Bank of America Corporation, Eric Holder, Anthony West, United States of America, the state of New York, John Corzine, Valerie Jarrett, Kamala Harris, Maya Harris West, Anita Dunn, Robert Bauer, Jeremy Ben Ami. J Street Inc., Howard Dickenstein, <laughs> Howard Dickstein, Janine English, Thomas B. Girardi, Walter Lack, Eric George, Sandor Samuels, Alan Rothenberg, Thomas Layton, John Hoonan, David Brock, Peter Krause, Mary Roberts, Media Matters, Danielle Lee, Joseph Dunn, Jerry Falk, Douglas Winthrop, Kenneth Lewis, Todd Tor. Je Jeffrey Huvel, Joseph Crudo Sr., Joseph Crudo Jr., Michael Brosnan, William Wardlaw, Alani I. Rothenberg, David J. Pasternak, Howard Miller, Scott Drexel, First Century Bank, A.K. First Century Bank, First Century Bank Shares, Inc., a Delaware Corporation, Countrywide Financial Corporation, the list just goes on, Chase Home Finance, LLC, Wells Fargo and Company, Wells Fargo Bank, NA, Wachovia Bank, Citigroup, Inc., Citibank, U.S. Bank Corp., U.S. Bank, NA, U.S. Bank Trust, Company National Association, the list just goes on. Um... Financial Corporation, Deutsche Bank. Now, isn't Deutsche Bank in trouble right now? See, this is the funny part because a lot of these people are in trouble right now. Deutsche Bank is definitely in trouble right now, right? Financial Corporation, Deutsche Bank. Corporation EMC Mortgage. Uh, countrywide Alternative Investment. Countrywide Capital, like 10 of them. Limited Countrywide. Countrywide Mortgage. Bear Stearns International. Didn't Bear Stearns go down? Uh, I mean, the list is ridiculous. Uh, Y'all can look this up. The Spire Law Group Lawsuit. S-P-I-R-E Law Group Lawsuit. And, again, I, I learned about this from Craig B. Hewlett. So, uh, and this is this is the point. And Morgan Chase is on there. And this is the point of what I'm saying is when we're talking about reparations, uh, I, I would... I'm willing to bet that a lot of these these um, individuals on here and these corporations on here were probably involved in slavery as well. They, when the financial collapse happened, this comes from Craig B. Hewlett, where I first heard this. These institutions assisted in laundering almost 43 trillion dollars out of this country 43 trillion dollars and the way they did it was they would set up a financial institution 
launder out a few billion dollars and then close down the institution, you know, the next day. Then open up the next institution and do it again. I'm going to read some of this press release. New York, New York, 10-25-12, Spire Law Group, LLP's National Homeowners Lawsuit pending in the venue where the banksters control their $43 trillion racketing, racketeering scheme known as the largest money laundering and racketeering lawsuit in the United States history and identifying $43 trillion of laundered money by the banksters. Identifying $43 trillion of laundered money by the banksters and their U.S. racketeering partners and joint venturers. Now pinpoints the identities of the key racketeering partners of the banksters located in the highest offices of government and acting for their own self-interest. It's funny how Kamala Harris was on that. This is from 2012. Nobody even really knew who she was back then. In connection with the federal lawsuit now impending in the United States District Court in Brooklyn, New York, involving, among other things, a request that the district court enjoin all mortgage foreclosures by the banksters nationwide unless and until the entire $43 trillion is repaid to a court-appointed receiver, plaintiffs now establish the location of the $43 trillion of laundered money in a racketeering enterprise participated in by the following individuals without limitation. Attorney General, Attorney General Eric Holder, acting as individual capacity, Assistant Attorney General Tony West, the brother-in-law of Defendant California Attorney General Kamala Harris, both acting in their individual capacities, John Corzine, former New Jersey Governor, Robert Rubin, former Treasury Secretary and Bankster, Timothy Geithner, Treasury Secretary, acting in his individual capacity, Vikram Pandit, recently resigned, <coughs> resigned and disgraced Chairman of the Board of Citigroup, Valerie Jarrett, a senior White House advisor, Anita Dunn, a former communications director for the Obama administration, Robert Bauer, husband of Anita Dunn and chief legal counsel for the Obama re-election campaign. This shit is so dirty and filthy. Um, you know, and the, and the name goes on, uh, the, the list goes on. This shit, this is a 912-page document. Ain't no way in hell I'm about to read this all tonight. Y'all can check this out for yourselves. But this <clears throat> is just to give you an idea and just to kind of wrap everything together nicely. We're talking about fascism and reparations, you know? When people talk about reparations, it's not going to come from so-called U.S. government. It's going to come from these type of shady motherfuckers right here, okay? Um, it's, you know, 22 trillion of this TARP money, this bailout money has been returned to the American people. And instead of going back and paying off our national get, debt, it's going back to some kind of war situation. They're preparing for the next war. It's going into something else. It's not going back to us in the end of the day. That's the bottom line. <clears throat> but, you know, we we need to have more serious conversations and and approach these matters from a more practical standpoint, okay? One thing we didn't get to talk about tonight really was, you know, what's going on with this vaccine right now, where apparently people who are being vaccinated 
or maybe are they shedding these spike proteins? Their bodies are producing these spike proteins. So as they're shedding, are they shedding now? Because I'm hearing about the women's reproductive cycles being impacted. Women having, you know, <clears throat> three periods in a month. What? Three periods in a month? Um, women having miscarriages. Men's sperm count reducing. And not from, we're not saying from receiving the vaccine, but from receiving, but coming in contact with people who have been vaccinated. Uh, peace, peace, comrade. Peace, brother. So, oh, you just missed the reparations conversation, bro. <laughs> but, so, so people who are, people who are coming in contact with those who have been vaccinated now have to watch out, especially if y'all want to have children and if you are pregnant or if your woman is pregnant, you just have to be mindful because th this is the type of playing field that we're dealing with right now. And it goes back to the issue of fascism where you're dealing with a government that has been completely compromised by these fascists. You know? Corporate interests trump our national interests and they trump our individual rights, right? You remember? Corporatism. And, and what, what did they say? I, I don't even have the thing up anymore, I don't think. But in, individual rights are trumped when it comes to this, uh, this fascism, okay? That our rights are trumped. They don't care about us at this point. We, we no longer matter. Oh, here we go. What, what did it say? It said... Social justice, right? Capitalism is an economic system that recognizes individual rights, while corporatism is a political and economic system that seeks social justice and equality among individuals. All right, so... Our individual rights no longer matter in light of these corporate interests. And that's something that people need to take seriously. You know, and we have to come up with ways to fight against this, even if it's just preserving our nature, preserving our health, our reproductive nature. You know, how do we protect now our women's wombs from this onslaught? Women who are not being vaccinated, but who are who are being exposed to people who have been vaccinated. How do we protect men and their sperm count from this? Um, the document I was just reading. It was um, the Spire Law Federal Complaint in New York. S-P-I-R-E Law. If you put Spire Law 
lawsuit, Spire Law Group lawsuit. It'll come up, S-P-I-R-E. And just look for it. I'm actually looking on archive.org. That's just the first link that I pulled up. But I, I recommend y'all download that PDF and look at it for yourself. That's right. Resistance to the transhuman agenda. That, that's what it is right now. I don't know how to do it. You know, I have my ideas about it. Consuming superfoods. Sea moss. Moringa. Chlorella. Spirulina. You know, things that are going to enhance our nervous system. I even heard, um, you know, going back to old technology is pyramid technology. You know, they, they try to say that pyramids are evil and all this shit. Listen, heard of this Russian experiment where they constructed a pyramid, constructed pyramids just to shape. And I believe, what is it? They put it over GMO plants or something and the plants went back to their actual structure. Maybe this is the type of technology that we need to incorporate. I'm sure going to try it. And because, you know, if it'll change plants back, I'm sure it'll change us back in the end of the day, you know. And it doesn't mean you have to build a pyramid out of brick and stone. Fuck that shit. You can just, you can use anything. You can use wood or metal. You know, you can create a pyramid this big. Just hang that thing over yourself in your little meditation space and see what happens, you know. Put that over your plants and your food. Put it over your garden. I would even say bury them. You know, bury them in your gardens. You know, things like this. Organ generators. I mean, I'm sure there's other technologies too. That's all I really got right now. Oh yeah, we must collectively, uh, b Brother Jolani says, we must collectively create our food and water source. That's right. So, two things I'll say for the water primary water if you can find a way to access primary water according to Deborah Tavares primary water is a renewable resource we just have to be able to access it but if you can't access primary water from where you are think of Moses West's um, water machine you know it's like it's basically like a dehumidifier it pulls water out of the air if you can create uh, maybe uh, a dehumidifier with a stronger yield or with a higher yield of water, something along those lines, then you can pull water out of the air yourself and, you know, you don't need to rely on the, the water system that they're creating right now because they, they are in the process, and they've been doing it for a while, of feeding us back our toilet water. You know, with heavy chemicals in it. Oh, man, I wish I had it up right now. I was looking at the chemicals that are that are being pumped through the pipes. Just I'm in New York City. Just in New York City alone, it's just disgusting. Like, I'm talking about, like, uh, if there's 30 chemicals being pumped through, half of them or two-thirds of them are cancerous chemicals. Okay, 
We're talking about things to, to keep the pipes from corroding. Like, okay, so you're going to pump them through. You're going to pump anti-corrosives through the water pipes to keep the pipes from corroding. Like, what's that doing to our bodies? Okay. So, you know, this is the stuff. Y'all know what it is, man. Uh... Oh, yeah, you remember that, uh, Zolo? You remember that episode? Yeah, we talked about that, you know? And we're going to keep on talking about it. That's why, you know, folks go back on the archives. Just because we give you a lot of reference points. And that, that's part of our job is to give you the reference points, do the homework and the research for yourselves. And then, you know, and that's why we love when people come back and chop it up with us because then we can take that thought to the next level. You know, it's not just about sitting here just spouting information to you, but it's about engaging in the conversation, creating a platform for the conversation, then taking that a couple steps further with the conversation. And then action ultimately, you know, like I'm going to try the pyramids. Y'all should try the pyramids too. see if they work out. I know places and people who have been using them for years and the results look positive. You know, uh, I can only imagine what those would do for our bodies. But that's those are the type of things we need to be considering right now because we're dealing with people who are putting a genetically modified organism into their bodies, and it's changing them on the on the cellular level. And this change is afflicting people who come in contact with them, who may choose not to have that operating system put into their bodies, okay? It's affecting our reproduction at this point. You know, these motherfuckers who are getting vaccinated are ending up being dangerous. And I'm sorry if anyone in this line has received the vaccine, but that's what times it is. That's what time it is right now. You know? So... <sighs> This is a labor of love, ladies and gentlemen. We are not getting paid for this shit. You know? If anything, we've we've had more people try to sabotage us than pay us for this shit. <laughs> peace, man. Yeah, peace, Zolo. Ain't no doubt. Yeah, shout out to Zolo Yaba. Zolani Speaks, man. That's the brother right there. Yeah, we love you too, brother. That's the only wake up family there all day. You know what it is, bro. And you know what we're out here doing. And, and, you know, I just want to thank everyone who's come out, who's listening, and who's contributed to this conversation. Because, you know, y'all hit us with some valuable stuff. You know, check out this, this Spire Law Group lawsuit if you want to. Um, you know, the, the reparations conversation, all my melanated people, whether you are black, African, Caribbean... Nigatopian, Hebrew Israelite, Nation of Islam, Nuwapian, you know, from, from whatever corner of Ethiopia that you hail, that we are having the wrong conversation. We're talking about who should not get reparations, and we need to be talking about who owes us reparations. I just went through a whole list of people who owe us reparations. The top 51 economies in the world, excuse me, out of the top 100 economies in the world, 
top 51 are corporations. And some of those corporations happen to owe us reparations. All right, folks? So you take that information, and now we have to do our diligence and find out who owes us, okay? And figure out what we're all going to do as a people in general, because by 2025, they say that the U.S. will have 80% fewer people. Just look at the Deagle report. Go on YouTube and look at because it's been removed and changed and altered at this point. Go to go to YouTube and type in D E A G E L population 2025 and you see what comes up. See if Brother Cam's lying to you. They say that we will have 80% fewer people in this country in four fucking years. This came out in 2015. No one could understand how that could be a thing, but if you see what's going on now with this MNR, mRNA vaccine, it makes more sense, right? I want to thank all of y'all for tuning in. I want to thank all of y'all for participating. If you haven't done it already, check out onthewakeupradio.com and check out otwtube.com. OTWTube.com. That's on the wake up tube.com. OTWTube.com. Create uh, an account on there. This is free speech social media. No censorship. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to guard your words and and use little code words to talk about the shit that needs to be spoken about. Okay? You can say vaccine. You know what I'm saying? You can say Israel or whatever you want to say. You, you don't have to sugarcoat shit. You don't have to beat around the bush. You can get right to the point. On otwtube.com, videos are not taken down. So all those videos that you could... Thank you. Thank you, Nia. So all those videos that get taken down on YouTube, you can find them on otwtube. And if you create an account, you can be the one to put them up there so that we have the permanent record of the videos and we have that content where it's not going anywhere. That's what time it is right now because there's too much content being wiped out by this digital book burning right now, okay? And it's all hands on deck. If you are about truth and you want to see these things preserved for the future, that's where it's at right there, otwtube.com. That is a creation of On The Wake Up Radio. It is so that we don't lose history because that's what's happening right now. Too much content is being lost through social media. We've gotten so comfortable with these platforms that when they start to delete things, we panic and we don't know what to do. So we start censoring ourselves, but we say, fuck their censorship. We're going to say exactly what needs to be said. And in the years down the line, when the time travelers are looking for the archives, they'll know where to look. Because we haven't buckled to these fucking corporate interests. To these fascists. <sighs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. As always, big shout out. I know my co-host wasn't here today. Big shout out to my... My brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Booth Podcast. Big shout out to all of you for tuning in. Big shout out to super producer Cindy Ashby for bringing this all together. 
Tune in again next week for the most dangerous two hours in radio on the Wake Up. Flawed individual. Cindy Ashby. On the Wake Up. You, the people, have the power. The power to create happiness. Let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all unite. OTWTube.com, uncensored free speech platform.